0: Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives, and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country where you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore on oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left taking with him 10 of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master he set out for aram naharim and made his way to the town of Nahal. he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town it was toward evening the time the women go out to draw water then he prayed lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back into the w- to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she, said, and she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as a room for you to spend the night. And then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives.
1: Laban and Bethel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewellery and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so then you may go but he said to them do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey send me on my way so I may go to my master then they said let's call the young woman and ask her about it so they called Rebecca and asked her will you go with this man I will go she said So they sent their sister, Rebecca, on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, I think we often long for God to make his will and direction for our life crystal clear. Wouldn't it be great if every time we encountered a significant decision that he just shot down fire from the sky and said, that's where I want you to go? Or if you're wrestling with hard questions about what's going on in your life, that God would just speak. He'd just say, hey, Nick, this is why you're going through this and this is the good that I'm working from it. But it's not often the case, is it? We We wish it was like the plane in the deep of night that's seeking to land and it comes down and sees the lights that illuminate the runway so that they can come in soft. But so often our stories and our journeys are full of bumps and obstacles that we'd never choose for ourselves. This room is full of stories, is full of longings and desires of unanswered questions, of prayers that have been offered again and again and again, and questions of, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you not present? How are you not coming through for me? If you haven't experienced that, you certainly will. It's, 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 it's intrinsic to the human experience that God is fantastically present at times and yet seems to be so distant and perhaps unloving in our experience at other times. Now we can acknowledge that and it's, it's normal to experience that, but the, the, the point that we can never forget is that God is never absent. God is never absent. He is always present, as this series has sort of already shown us, that He's the master storyteller who weaves every, little tap, every thread of the tapestry together to form a beautiful picture that perhaps we would never have experienced in our own way or desired for ourselves, but in His beauty and goodness is doing something far greater than we could ever imagine. At times, that looks like the burning bush, or it looks like Paul on the Damascus Road where he's just blinded by the glory of God. And at other times, it's wandering through the wilderness, wrestling with God, asking hard questions. But God is still present even in those moments. His Spirit is still with us, directing us, leading us, guiding us. He has given us everything that we need to navigate this world and to walk with Him, even when it's not divine from the sky. God is with us and He shows us the way. So, if you've got your Bibles open, we're just going to focus in on verses 1 through 9 for the most part, looking at Abraham to see that the divine hand of God is present in every season, weaving and directing all things for our good, even when we don't feel it. So, verse 1, Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. I love this. In our society today, age is something to be avoided and to spend as many days and hours and money and whatever you've got to try and fight it off. There's a whole industry that, that milks us as we seek the fountain of youth, and yet that's the complete opposite of Scripture. Scripture presents age as this wonderful gift because in age, we cultivate wisdom. In age, we have the, the eyes to see the goodness of God. And that's where Abraham's come through. If you've been following his story, it is messy. He's done some crazy stuff. He's experienced some crazy stuff. And at this point in his life, at his age, he can say, the Lord has blessed me in every single way. The thing with aging is it can take us in one of two ways. Uh, scripture paints that really clearly. If It can make us thankless and bitter, and we can regret the experiences that we haven't had. And it can lead us down a dark path, or it can be a beautiful moment where our faith and our experience of God leads us into see with grateful eyes the way that He was present all the way along. This, this room is full of tremendous stories of how God has come through for us. This room is full of people who have experienced God in all the different seasons of life and He's been present and he's, he's done wonderful things and especially to our older brothers and sisters here, we're not naming any names, you've got so much wisdom to afford us because you have experienced and seen what we can only hope for. As a young man, I am blessed every single time I get to have a conversation with someone who's walked the journey before me and said, yeah, that was hard, but I saw the goodness of God in that moment. That's where Abraham is. He's come to this place of just presence and peace because he's seeing God's goodness in every season. And so we get to this weird account, which does feel very foreign, where he sends his servant to go find a wife for his son. It would be a little bit weird to do that today if you were to send me up to At Neutral for a coffee and i just sit there and pray, All right, Lord whoever buys me a batch brew, that's the wife that you have for me. You know, it's, it's kind of foreign. It's a little bit weird in terms of the prayer, but also in terms of like the bridal price and the arranged marriages. We've just got to own that. On the one hand, there are things we might change. That's okay, because this is not presenting the ultimate good for marriage, but it's presenting reality. On the other hand, we need to put aside our snobbery and acknowledge that there are plenty of cultures who do things differently to us. And they have mighty success in their marriages and and beauty that comes out of it. So we sit in the middle, a little bit uncomfortable, but also just humbly allowing God to speak. But regardless, Abraham, verse 2, says to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Also kind of weird, just a solemn moment, okay? No one touch my thigh later, it's all good. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, if you've been following the story, you're probably sitting here going, oh nah, it's going to happen again. Abraham's going to stuff it up. God's offered him promise after promise after promise, and he always takes matters into his own hands and just completely botches the whole thing. All right, I'll go sleep with the slave girl, and that'll go really well, and I'll go do this. This isn't what's going on here. In those other instances. Abraham has had the promise of God, but with his impatience and his faithlessness has taken matters into his own hands. On this case, it's it's the opposite. Abraham is sitting right at the end of his life. His wife, Sarah, has just died. He knows that it's his obligation as father to seek a wife for his son, and he's really probably looking down the barrel of his own death. And so he's finally at this point to go, God, you've promised me that you'll Give me descendants more numerous than the stars. You promised that you'll do it through Isaac. So now, what do I do? He's actually walking in step with the faithfulness of God and seeking the will of God rather than running against it and trying to hold on to it for himself. And that's an important message for us because we can so easily get impatient with God and convince ourselves that we're walking in the will of God when actually we're just bowing to our own selfishness. But it's only now as Abraham bears the fruit of his old age and his wisdom, and maybe some of the mistakes that he's made, that he gets to this place where he's waited upon God, and it's only now that he's waited that he comes to the right decision. So sometimes God has been very good to Abraham, and just like spoken, or given him a vision, or whatever. There's been lots of moments where he's just kind of just jumped in, and just made it so clear. But those moments are actually few and far between. If you, if you read through the story of Abraham, he lives to 175 I don't want to live 100. to 175. And you can count on two hands the amount of times that God speaks to him audibly or does something incredible. 175 years, the majority of his following God was actually in the absence of a clear voice from God. And that's true for us. I do believe that the Spirit within us can speak and does speak audibly. He does lead us and guide us and direct us, and He is present with us. And we should ask for that, whether it's through a word of prophecy, a vision, a dream, whatever. We believe that God can and does do that, so let's do it. But for most of our life, that's not how we get God's will for us. That's not how we determine the steps that we take. And so what we see here is Abraham modeling something beautiful, a man rooted in faith, taking hold of everything that God's given him, and taking faith-filled steps towards where he believed God has revealed his will. So we're going to look at three things that that Abraham does as he sends out his servant to go find a wife for Isaac that teach us something. The first is he's determined that Isaac needs a wife, which we've kind of already covered, but verse 3, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. It's never explicitly stated to Abraham that Isaac needs a wife, but he's learned some hard lessons. If you have a wife by the have a child by the Egyptian slave outside of the beauty of marriage, it's probably not going to go well for you. Hey, Isaac, you I know to be the, the end of the promises of God in my life. God, you've explicitly told me Isaac is through whom the descendants will come. So if Isaac's going to be the one to bring those descendants, as I meditate on these promises, are you going to do it, God? Are you going to do it, God? I'm about to die, God. I think think we need to get Isaac a wife. I've got to stop waiting and just leaving it up to chance. At this point, I believe that God has revealed this to me through his promises. Sarah has just died. Abraham is at the end of his life. This is the time for me as, my fa- as his father to, to do this duty. Again, he, he has spent years waiting. Isaac is presumably older than 30, 40 at this point. He's been waiting on the Lord, and at this point, as he nears the end of his life, he, he, he meditates upon everything that God has promised him, and he goes, okay, now's the time to take a step. Now's the time for me to do something. The second thing is that he asks the servant, to get a wife from his own people. He says that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Again, there's nothing explicitly stated, don't get a wife from the Canaanites. But if you go back to chapter 15, there's just one little verse that you might miss as you read through it, where God's speaking to Abraham and he says, the sin of the Amorites has yet not yet reached its completion. He's talking about how eventually God's people will go to Egypt and come back. And the Amorites are really just a banner for which all of the Canaanites stand. And so Abraham, presumably at this point, is is meditating upon the promises of God and just ticking over everything that he has heard from the Lord. He's meditating upon every word that God has given him, trying to go, what is it that you would have me do, God? How have you directed my steps and where are you directing me forward? Well, I believe that God does not want me to get a wife from the people around here because these people are a people that he's proclaimed their sin is only growing and they're going to be distant from God. So what we'll do is we need to go back and find a nice Jewish girl, Man Isaac, okay? That's where we'll go. What I love about this is the easy option would have been to find a Canaanite wife. He's in that land. There are other people all around him. But again, Abraham's learned his lesson that God has been patient. God has offered promises. And rather than taking the quick and easy option into his own hands, He wants to be faithful. It needs to be true for us too. When we come face to face with, with decision making, when we come face to face with opportunity, when we come face to face with the direction that we think God is leading, we always seek to be faithful above all else, even when it's difficult. Even when it comes to difficult decisions and it's hard work, we always choose what God would have for us, even if it's the harder option. And the third one, You've got Isaac not needing to go back to his people. He's very strong on this. Verse 6, he says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. And you go, verse 8, it comes back again. If the woman's unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from my oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. I love this. This is the tender hand of a father who loves his son and wants the best for them. This is the Ty and Laura dedication moment. Of, of looking upon his son and saying, I made these mistakes in the past where I went back to the old ways. God called me out of that land and promised me something great, but I just doubted him and I went back. So for my son, I'm going to do everything I can that he wouldn't make the mistakes that I do. Don't even take him near my land where I came from because that is the sign of going back to the old ways. God has got so much better in the future for Isaac. Don't let him go there. What I love is as you read Genesis, there's actually not much on Isaac. You get a whole lot on Abraham, it's messy. You get a whole lot on Jacob and Esau, very messy. You get a whole lot on Joe, not much on Isaac. I think part of it is because in Abraham's kindness and goodness as a father, he's directed his steps in a way towards faithfulness that has actually set him up for a beautiful future. And that's so wonderful to see that we can learn from our disobedience and our rejection And even in the absolute mess and chaos of this world, God can take us and lead us into a better place. For the fathers and mothers in the room, this is such an encouraging moment as a parent to say, as you seek to love and raise your kids in the Lord, God can do something with that. And God will do something with that. He can set us on a place. So these are the three things that lead Abraham's decision making. In the absence of a word from the Lord, I will cling to his promises. I will chew on them. I will meditate on them. They are the anchor for my life. They are the light for my feet. He goes over every single word and meditates upon them that God has spoken. Because as Jesus said, you know, there is food that you don't even know about. You know, man cannot live on bread alone. We, we need to chew and devour and, and, and just live off the nourishment that the word gives us. Because that is the ultimate direction of our lives. Sometimes we say, God, show us where we're going. And he just says, well, look at your Bible. You have 66 chapters in here, 66 books in here. I've I've made it very clear. Abraham's working on some pretty limited information. He's at the very start of the Bible. We have so much available to us. And so often what we're longing for is not actually the, the direction of God, but the experience and the confirmation where we don't need faith, where we can just say, okay, God told me, so I do it. When God often wants us to step into the place of faithfulness the place of the unknown, because in his providence, in his goodness, he has far more for us than just the yes and amen to the things that we long for in our life. And so there's a few lessons I think we need to learn from Abraham about how we move forward in life. First one's this, faith is not passive. Faith is not passive, but faith is humble. Have a look at Abraham's confidence. He's pretty set that what he's about to do is what God would have for him. Verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, he will send his angel before you. I'm going to send you, servant, and just know, I believe that the angel of the Lord will go. God didn't say that to him, I'm sending my angel, but he knew, he believed, he pressed forward, he took steps. Faith is not passive. And yet, faith is still humble. Look at Verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. I'm a human. If I've stuffed this up, if I've misread the situation, if I haven't heard the voice of God correctly at this point, if I've misunderstood the promise, if I've misunderstood the, the, the word of God, well then, don't worry about it. That's fine. That is the place that we need to be. Could you imagine if, not just in the giant decisions of life, but in the everyday that we could walk forward with this unflappable confidence that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is guiding us. And yet, to do it with arms wide open, if God wanted to take and change the direction of what we think is right or what we think He's leading, that we're okay with it. We know that the angel of the Lord goes before us, that the presence of God is within us, that God is weaving all things for our good, as Romans 8 says, but at the same time, our plan might not be God's plan, and that's okay. Faith is not passive. It's active. We need to take steps. We need to move forward. We need to press in to what God has revealed. And yet it's humble. If God is not doing what we think he's doing, that's okay. Second thing from this passage that's just so clear to me is that prayer matters. God responds when we pray. Prayer is the main game. Prayer is not just the Christian thing that we do because it's a nice thing. Prayer changes the reality of this world. Now, again, this whole story, there's not a single moment where God speaks. There's not a single verse where it says God changed or did or or did a miracle or what. All of it's just ordinary events. And yet in verse 12, you've got this servant who prays a very specific prayer, which again, maybe not a good lesson in prayer, but a good lesson in faith. He prays, all right, I'm going to go to this well. And when the lady comes forward with the water, she's the one. And if she waters my camels too, that'll be even better. It's expectant. He doesn't just pray afterwards. He does his thing and then goes, all right, God, hope, hope for the best. He prays right at the beginning because he has this faith that God will move. And then what does God do? He moves. Again, not suggesting we go water some camels and look for a wife like that. It's not, that's not the lesson here. But the point is that when we, we have this posture of faith and we press in prayer, God is at work. He's not just at work in the miraculous. This is, the theology word for this is providence. God, in His power and sovereignty, has His hand upon every thread of creation. The power that created the universe is weaving the little details of your life. And it's His pleasure to listen to you when you pray. There is power in prayer. I wonder if, if we truly believed every verse in Scripture about prayer, how different our life would be. If we truly, when Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you, if we really believed that prayer was the main, how would that change things? It'd be amazing. God does speak when we pray. God does answer when we pray. God does lead when we pray, even if it's just by by weaving the ordinary things in life towards our good. And the last one, I've touched on it before, but I think we need to see that, that Abraham has an incredible faith here, largely because He's just walking blind. He's got this promise that God gave him, and he's holding on to it and he's pressing into it. But that's all he's got. Whereas you and I, we stand here and we have every single one of these stories of faith to hold on to. We have so much of Scripture that just declares, screams, shouts the goodness and faithfulness of God. We, we're not. We're not wandering blind. We've seen the whole counsel of God in Scripture. We're not just standing in the position of Abraham, looking forward to some unseen future that hopefully his descendants might realize. We are standing on the other end, looking back, looking at a moment where every promise of God was declared, yes and amen, as Jesus bled into that ground, as He gave up His life and rose from the dead. We're not looking forward to something that might come, we're looking back to something that's already happened, the cosmic victory that has already been won and declared over this entire world. There's no uncertainty about the big things. Everything that matters has been completely and utterly confirmed in Jesus. You do not need to worry about your eternity. You do not need to worry about your future. Everything in between in this small life is really just the waiting room for eternity to come. We have so much on offer. And more than just the Word and all of the promises that Jesus has given us, the beauty of Jesus is that He gives us each other. I reckon Abraham would have been loving life if he'd been a part of a church. He could have been like, hey, I think, I think God's leading me here. What do you think? When, when God saves us, the beauty is that he saves us into the body of Christ. He makes us one together. And so I can sit here and be blessed by your stories of God's faithfulness. And I can be blessed by your wisdom and discernment that God has given you. We get to walk this together. There's a book out there. I haven't actually read the whole book, but, but it's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. So often we're just we're searching, God, please, show me what to do. And he's like, I've given you the word, I've, I've lit up the, f- the floor in front of you, and I've got your brothers and sisters around you showing you the way to go. What, do you, what more do you need? So often that's what we need. We just need to press into what God has already revealed to us. We need to be willing to speak more honestly about where God has been present and where God has been absent in our lives, because that is how we get to walk this thing together. That's why we do open mic. It's a chance for you to share how you've seen or not seen God's goodness, and it blesses the church. That's why we do prayer down the front every Sunday so that you can just process something with another brother or sister who can pray for you and point you in the right direction. That's why we don't just do services online. We meet in a building, in a family, because as we get to walk this together, that's how we step into the faithfulness of God. So we would all love every single time we had a question for God to just speak in, gosh, burning bush, Fire from the sky. That'd be fantastic. But God is doing something better than that. God is taking the the faith-filled steps that we take as an opportunity to build and forge us into the people that He would have us be. And He's given us everything we need to know where we're going. We we meditate deeply on scripture. We hold firm to the promises. We walk it together. And when we stuff it up, it's all good because we're living in grace and we've got each other to, to walk this journey together. We get to be a part of the master storyteller's tapestry as he paints something incredibly beautiful in the gospel of Jesus in this community here in Neutral Bay. So let's do that together. Let's walk it with honesty. Let's walk it in fellowship and community. Let's pray now. Let's pray that God might come and meet us in in the place that we're in. Father God Almighty, you are all-powerful. You hold all things together in your sovereign will, and you can do anything. You you bring forth the whole of creation with a word, and yet it is your will to lead us forward in faith, to have us take steps and discern as you lead, as you give us your promises. Lord, please would you fill us with great, great joy and pleasure as we walk forward in your presence, even when we don't have. The clarity of exactly where we're going. For any of us who are wrestling with big decisions in life, where we're going, what we're doing, how we're getting there, Lord, please would you offer your wisdom, the wisdom of your word, the wisdom of brothers and sisters. Would you set us forward on the path that you would have us walk? But ultimately, we don't pray for perfection or comfort, we pray for faithfulness and closeness with you. So, Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.